We're recording. Well, that's an announcement. Well, Jess and Julie are on the worship team now. Good morning, everyone. Morning. Where did Rome? Rome, where are you at? You can sit back there. Okay. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome. Uh, I'm just excited for today. We got a couple new members of our worship team. This is Julie Bain. They've been coming here for a while, and she's going to sing with us. And then my awesome wife on the cajon, which apparently just means box. <laughs> so let's stand and let's praise God. Rejoice! 
you guys heard our announcements, or we don't really have any announcements right now. We're just thankful and glad to be back here worshiping together. Um, there's a line in this, that last song. Uh, it was in verse 2. It says, Bringing reconciliation to a world that long snow, the affections of a father who will never let them go. And that just stuck out to me as we were singing with everything going on in our world. Like there's just a longing, I feel like, that people don't even, not even recognize that they have. They long to have reconciliation with the Father, with an affectionate Father who loves them. So I'm going to just kind of pray through that, and with that in mind, and I just ask that you join in prayer for our community, our cities, and that God would just be put on display through His church. Um, and feel free to, to pray uh, if you feel led. Father God, we just thank you for today. We thank you that we're able to gather here and just glorify your great and holy name. And I pray, God, as we go out, as we look and see what's going on in the world around us, that we would be that light to a community, that light to a person, God, that we would share the love of Christ with those, God. That you long for reconciliation with them, God, because you're an affectionate Father that loves them. That you long to have relationship with the world out there, God. That you want people to come near to you, God. And I pray that you would do that during this time of all this that is going on in our world, God. Use us as your hands and feet, God. The, 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 the work is out there, the laborers with you, God. Let us be laborers for Christ. And I say these things in Jesus' name.
Second Peter chapter 2, and we did the first three verses of that chapter, and we, we were looking at false teachers. And through that, um, we pointed out six things that we can know about false teachers. One was that they're always around. Um, it talked about from the prophets in the Old Testament to the new uh, preachers and teachers of the Word in the New Testament, the false prophets, they're, they're always around. Second thing we came to is we, we seen that they distort the truth. They take words that you and I know and you and I have heard and understand and they change the meaning and they, they, they put a different dictionary to them and they distort the truth. Third, we've seen that they deny the Lord Jesus Christ. One of, the, one of the best ways to kind of get inside the mind of a false teacher and identify them is to ask them, who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus Christ to you? And, and you can see a lot from their answers. And the next was, they brought him the way to heaven for man. Um, we're, we're sinful people. We like the easy way. Uh, sounds, sounds easy, it sounds good. It sounds tempting. So, so they brought him the way to heaven, make it sound like it, it don't take uh, very much to get there. Nothing on your part. Um, then they covered their motives. That was the next thing. So they're doing all this thing, and they're making it sound really nice, making it sound really appealing to you, but really they're covering their motives of they want to, to turn a profit from you. They want to get into your pocket. They want to, to get your money. And then the sixth and final thing that I ended with was they're headed for sure judgment. And that's where we go today. We're going into verses 4 through 10. And we're going to kind of see that example that we've seen that today, uh, last week that they're headed for sure judgment. So today we're going to be in chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. If you guys want to take a moment and turn there. 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. So as I was studying and, and, and looking at this and thinking about it, like a thought came to my mind that, that we can kind of see in our lives, we see in humanity, we see in everyday world, we see with our children, we, we kind of see it all around. And the thought was, the more that you can get away with something, the more you do it, right? And it, it really got me thinking that like it's, it's like that almost on an instinctual level from like the time... That, that were born and as a little child and one of the examples that got me thinking about that is once Isaac got up and got into his walker and kind of had some wheels and some legs under him and started moving around he started going around and, and discovering things and he discovered the little drawer of death on the front of our coffee table that had <laughs> pencils and things he could choke on and coins and fingernail clippers and all, all, all of this stuff and, and he discovered that drawer and so one time he wheels over to it and he reaches over the edge and he starts to open it up and as he does Maria or I can't remember we're like Isaac no don't get in there and we go back up and we close the door and a little bit of time goes by he wheels himself back over to the drawer and this time He's not so entranced on the drawer itself. He's got one hand on the drawer and one hand and his eyes on me. He's like starting to open it. <laughs> Isaac, no. He like glances down and he's still holding eye contact with me. And, and he was testing to see how much he could get away with. And this is like six months old. He's like eyeballing me and opening the drawer to get all these treasures that could ultimately cause it maim and destroy him or whatever. But... Um, and then I thought, thought about it on uh, a different level. You guys know my history. You guys know uh, my previous struggles with alcohol and addiction and stuff. But there was times when I would go and I would get clean and I would get sober and I would, uh, be, everything would be going just fine. And I would tell myself, 
you know what? I can drink just one time, or I can go and I can use just one time, and, and that'll just be it. But I would go, and so I would do that, and I would do it just that one time, and if I got busted, yeah, I just did it that one time. There were, there were repercussions, there was a price to pay, there, there was stuff to answer to. But if I got away with it, that one time turned into two times. That two times turned into four times. So it, it really just got me thinking, the more that we can get away with something, the more that we will usually do it. And these false teachers, they're, they're thinking the same thing. I think that's why we see in the text from last week that um, from the false prophets all the way to the false teachers is because they think they're getting away with it. They think they're getting away with it. That's a big difference between actually getting away with it. Because if they were to get away with it, then we wouldn't be reading about the judgment that's to come to them this week. But in their mind, in thinking they're getting away with it, it just continues. They continue to try and pull more people away from Christ. They try to manipulate more people into following their ideas and beliefs instead of the, the truth and the Word of God in the Bible. So... Um, we're going to start off reading in verse 4, we'll read through 10, and then we'll jump in there and kind of unpack it. Um, I'm going to read mine from my notes. I can control the font size on my notes, so it's much easier than raising this up, explaining out a Bible. Verse 4, For God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until, until the judgment. If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what was going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked... For as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over the lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from the trials and keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. So, that... In reading that, it got me um, thinking, like, we find ourselves so often as people, like, asking ourselves a question, or asking God a question, like, Lord, how long? And, and I think we see it right now with, um, with everything that's happening in our world, uh, with the... Um, abuse of power that some people take advantage of with people turning a, a, a right that were given for peaceful protest to take that right and man manipulate it into looting for their own gain. All of this wickedness, all of this evil that we see, I think at times, and I know I'm guilty of it, we can find ourselves asking, Lord, how long? How long are you going to allow them to get away with this? Bring judgment. Bring it quickly. How long is this going to go on? But I think it's very, very important for us to understand God's patience. To rephrase that, what if we looked at it like, okay, what if he brought down immediate judgment? Where would some of us be? Where would some of us be prior to being here today? I know that uh, he had a lot of patience with me. 30 years of patience with me. Had I, had I received immediate judgment, I wouldn't be standing here talking to you guys right now. That's for sure. I think we should 
Thank God for his patience. Thank God that he doesn't uh, send this immediate judgment onto the people. And I think he does this because he doesn't want to lose a soul. We're all saved at a different rate. We all come to him at a different time. And if he was to just wreak judgment on the evil of this world, we would see a lot of people that may have given their life to him at some point, changed and came to him at some point, but have never had that opportunity. Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 8, verse 11, he says, Because the sentence against evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. So it's saying when there's, when there's that time that that sentence doesn't come against the people right away, that that evil deed is when that's not executed speedily, the heart of the children and the heart of the children of man sets to continue to do this evil. And I think there's some dangers we can have in um, mistaking God's patience for things. Like understanding his patience and mistaking his patience for, say, a lack of concern. Or maybe worse, oh, making, mistaking his patience for a weakness. Mistaking his patience for um, worse than that even. Like he's not able to do anything about it. Or uh, maybe mistaking his patience for approval. Like, uh... He really doesn't mind that, that much. Like, mistaking his patience in, in our growing and our sanctification process for approval or things. Um, but Peter, right here, he's saying, no way. He's saying, he's saying God has always brought judgment. Judgment is always going to be handed down. Sin is always going to be dealt with. And so he goes on in these verses and he gives us a few examples of God bringing judgment upon the world. And so in the three examples, we're going to see God bringing judgment on the unseen world in the fallen angels. We're going to see him bringing judgment in, uh, in a worldwide aspect, in the worldwide flood. And then we'll see it more in a, in a localized judgment when he brings it down just on the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. But in this, like, that can be heavy. That can be a lot of stuff, like, just hearing this judgment, knowing judgment's coming, and, and, and creating some type of, of worry or fear in us. But Peter goes on to also give us two examples of God rescuing people from judgment. God, God um, redeeming these people and bringing them out of it. So we, we'll see Noah and Lot as well. So we're going to kick off with... <coughs> The unseen world and the fallen angels in verse 4. It said, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. So there's a lot that we know about angels from the Bible and there's a lot we don't know. Um, some of the things we know from the Bible is we know that they were created before you and I. Um, we know a little bit about the day when the angels fell from heaven. Um, there came a day when they were faced with a choice. A choice like you and I are faced with. Are we going to follow God? Are we going to choose to believe Him? Are we, we going to place our faith in Him? But Lucifer, he wanted to be like God, so he didn't make that choice. He didn't make the right choice. And in wanting to be like God, knowing that there was only one God, a third of the angels fell from heaven. They were cast away. And some of the angels, they remained faithful, and there are some that are in heaven worshiping God. Some are fighting demonic battles, and, and some of them are, are here on the earth protecting us. Like, we have guardian angels. 
Some of you might have two or three. Some of you might have one that just wants to catch his breath for a second. Sit down, just catch up. You're keeping him busy. But we have these guardian angels. Um, and on the flip side of the guardian angels, the fallen angels, they have access to you and I. Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 5, he echoed Job in saying, Satan is prowling the earth like a roaring lion, seeking to devour and destroy anything he can. So, in this verse, in these verses, what Peter's referring to is that some of those falling angels, they're being held in a bottomless pit right now, awaiting the day of judgment. But his point is, is that these angels, they were given a choice, and now they're locked up. They're being judged, but they're awaiting the day of full judgment. They're being held until the full judgment comes down to them. And these false teachers, they may look like they're getting away with it from the time to time. We see them continue to what we look like would be prospering, but they're not getting away with it. They're not getting away with misleading people, trying to pull people away from God. Judgment day is coming, and they're going to have to answer to him for that. And then we go into verse 5. Verse 5 said, If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought the flood upon the world of the ungodly. So, in um, Genesis 6, we're told that God waited 120 years before he sent the flood. There's an example of his patience. There's an example of him knowing the time and, and, and knowing his plan and, and doing it at his pace, not ours, not what we think would be the time for judgment. So he created the earth and then he's he seen the wickedness that was upon it. And he, he looked down to even say that he was sorry. He was sorry that he had made the world because of all of the evilness in it. So he was going to send a worldwide flood to bring the judgment. And then we have Noah. He came to Noah who was a herald of righteousness or a preacher of righteousness. And he spared him. Him and seven others of his family members. When we think about Noah, like, we think about Noah. He was building a boat out in the middle of the desert. No water anywhere. And he's building this giant massive boat. But he did it faithfully. There was 120 years before the flood came. And you got that Noah telling people, when the, when the flood comes, you're going to want to be in this thing. And he continually, faithfully worked on the boat. But I can't imagine what the people around him, must, how they must have reacted to him, how they must have treated him. I'm sure they, they made fun of him. They ridiculed him. They're like, you're building a boat right here? It, it's going to rain and flood? What is rain? Like they, they didn't even have that concept yet, but he's there faithfully trusting in God, knowing what he said, and he's building the ark. The people, they gave themselves to sin. They gave themselves to sin for the 120 years, and they thought they got away with it. They thought they got away with it all until the day when the door closed. And on the day when the door closed, I bet the sounds really changed. The sound of the words that they were saying to Noah prior to the flood coming, I bet, I bet they changed and sounded a little more like, Noah, let us in. We, we believed you the whole time. We knew you were right. We were just kidding. Come on, open the door. 
But no, they thought they had got away with it until judgment happened and no one expected it. In verse 6, we see the localized judgment. He goes on in verse 6 saying, If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an, an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. So here we see him judging these two cities, in these two specified cities. He used these two cities as an example of what it was going to look like when he brought judgment down onto the wicked. I'm sure there was many places, many cities that were living in wickedness like this that he could have used as an example, but he chose these two. All throughout the Bible, from Ezekiel to Jude, they're written about and used as examples of wickedness, how God dealt with them. Sodom and Gomorrah are often listed as an example of how he dealt with the wickedness. In verse 7, Peter refers to the conduct in these cities as sensual conduct. And then in 8, he refers to their deeds as lawless deeds. And what he's meaning of the lawless deeds at this point, there were, there were no Mosaic law yet. He's talking about the, the natural law that God had written onto the hearts of all the men. And then um, in this time we have Abraham. And Abraham, he's, he's pleading with God to spare these cities because his nephew Lot is there. And so he's pleading with God, God, if there's just 50 righteous people in this city, please let them stand. And God's like, yeah, if there's 50, we can let them stand. But he knows he's talking to God, and he knows that there isn't 50 there, and he knows that God knows that, and so he settles down a little more. But, but all right, God, well, what if there's 10? What if there's 10 righteous people there? Let the city stand. And God's like, okay, if there are 10, I'll spare them. But there wasn't. And God rained down judgment and turned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes. I think sometimes we find ourselves in a situation, we find ourselves dealing with things in our lives, and we, we, we tend to look up and say, God, how long are you going to allow this to happen? How long are you going to allow this to happen? Or we see something happening to somebody else. Like we have a friend who, who's in an abusive relationship, and we care about we care about him or we care about her and we're like, we really want the best of them and then you see the evil that the other spouse is doing to that person and we look at them and, God, how long are you going to allow this to happen? When are you going to bring judgment on this person? But I think we, we shouldn't be looking for ju judgment. We should be looking for Jesus. Amen. God is patient. And so, with, with all of these examples of what it looks like to bring judgment, what, what God's judgment looks like, what these false teachers are facing, because they're not getting away with it. He, he's not letting it slide on their behalf. Like, their judgment is coming. It, it can be a lot to bear. It can be a lot to think about that God's judgment raining down in the earth. But there's good news. There's good news in these verses. Peter goes from sure judgment to in verses 7 through 10, the assurance that if you know God, you're going to be delivered. The, the thing I really loved about the examples of the two people that he delivered in this passage is the, the wide spectrum that, that he covers in using Noah and in using Lot. He goes from Noah, this righteous man that trusted in him, was obedient, followed everything he said, had tremendous faith, 
had tremendous trust. He goes from using him as a, an example of someone who could be redeemed and be rescued and be spared from his judgment to Lot. To Lot. If I hadn't read the Bible, if I hadn't read these two verses that Peter had written here, I would have probably guessed that he didn't make it. Lot didn't have a big track record of, uh, of doing great things. Uh, there's not really any biblical Old Testament indication that he, Lot did anything other than squander away every chance God had given him. But God knew his heart. He knew that he lived right on the edge of the pit of hell. He lived right near the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he was, he was tormented. And his soul was tormented by the things he was witnessing. And the things he was seeing. And um, God delivered him. So that's good news for us. Um, knowing that from, from the righteous to the one barely hanging on by a thread. God can deliver his people. It brings me back to that question. If you find yourself um, asking, wishing, praying for God to, to bring swift judgment onto somebody, think about how long He had in our own lives to bring judgment down on us. He redeemed me. He redeemed you guys. But in His time. Not, not when we not when we thought we deserved it, not when we got our act together. God exercised patience according to his plan. Some of, some of us might still be in the crosshairs right now. Some of us might have, have some work to do still. So I just want us to find peace that if you're in here today and you're more on Noah's side of the spectrum, thank God for that. Thank God for building a trust and a building a faith inside of you because you, me, and God know that's not by your own doing. That's not by your own power. That's by the work of the Holy Spirit residing inside of you, redeeming you, restoring you, renewing you. We weren't always like that. Amen. And if you're here today and um, the sins that you struggle with, they seem to, they seem to stack up in front of you. They, they seem to be winning the battle. They, they seem insurmountable that you'll never conquer these things or get over these things. Let Lot, the example of Lot being redeemed bring some peace, bring some confidence, bring you some faith. We've been purchased by the blood of the Lamb. We've been washed white as snow. For it is grace, for it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's a gift from God. Let's pray. Father God, we are, uh, we are truly grateful for your patience in each and every one of our lives. God, if you had brought me even a fraction of the judgment that I deserve, a fraction of the just judgment that I, I have earned, that brings a fear to me. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for understanding that we're drawn into our flesh, but you're renewing our spirit to draw us away from ourselves, to draw us closer to you and to your ever-loving arms. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Okay, so um, we have four ways that we come together on Sundays as a body to respond to 
God's glory. So just for them. Pray. So normally we have people back here, but with everything going on, just I encourage you to pray. Come before the Lord. Communion, again, not happening right now. But the heart of communion is to focus on the blood that he shed for you and for me and his body. So you don't need those elements to come into that form of worship. Another way we sing because of what Chris just talked about. We serve a great God, a merciful, patient God that is not surprised by my sin, by your sin. We sing in response. And another way is we give because he is our provider and we give out of that abundance.